We back with Nick, and Nick, it was, uh, I guess it was about uh, Jacksonville, Florida Falls 42-20, um, in a game that Florida made close um, at one point in the third quarter, cut it to 28-20. Um, a lot of miscues in this game. A lot of um, film that I think guys will look back and say, man, if I had just made this play or just did this, this would be a different game. Uh, obviously, Georgia was the better football team, but uh, Florida made some mistakes that uh, proved to be costly. Yeah, and I mean, I think ultimately, when you when you go back and you look at this game, it's the slow start that killed that killed the Gators, killed Billy Napier and the Gators. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you, you, it's it's hard to win when you start off with four straight drives and four straight punts, uh, three and outs actually. All of them were three and outs, so that you know, twelve plays, four punts. That's not a recipe to win a football game. Um, with that being said, the Gators came out of the gate strong in the second half, uh, obviously went on a 17-0 uh, run uh, there in the third quarter. Like we said, they cut it to an eight-point game uh, against the number one team in the country. No moral victories around here, but, you know, the Gators, like they have all season, they showed fight. Um, and I think ultimately when you look at this game and you look at the season as a whole, the one thing that's standing out to me is that this team isn't – they're not giving up. They're not – they're playing for each other. And I think last year's team – down 28 to three against Georgia would have just rolled over, showed no fight. Uh, so that, you yeah, know, that's, uh, yeah, they would have quit. Uh, so that's, you know, that's the positive, I think, to take away from this. Obviously a long way to go. Like I said, long way to go. Um, and ultimately Georgia was just a better team. Uh, you know, Gators won the turnover battle three to zero. They made more stops. They, they forced Georgia to punt more um, than they have uh, average on all season. Uh, that's another good takeaway. But, you know, ultimately, like I said, Georgia was just a better football team on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, they held Georgia to 50% on third down, 6-12. to 12. Um, mm-hmm. You know, overall, um, it was a game that, you know, Florida defensively, I don't think played as bad as, as the stats may show. Um, you know, I mean, the the 78-yard touchdown to Brock Bowers, Amari Bernie's in position. He bats the ball, and it just, you know, takes the right hop to, to Bowers, and, and he takes it for a score. Um, in the game, like you said, I mean, Florida, they only had 16 total yards in the first half. I mean, in the first quarter, uh, you know, didn't, uh, didn't have a first down. I mean, you, you, you can't, you, you can't get behind a, a Georgia team like that and expect to, you know, to, to, to win a game. And, uh, you know, again, did defense play great? No, they didn't play great at all. I mean, they gave up over 500 yards, and um, but they played better than they have. And I thought they played a solid second half. Uh, only one catch to Brock Bowers, and that's when Britton Cox um, jumped off sides and they just threw it up for grabs. And Bowers big boyed uh, Jason Marshall um, because, I mean, Bowers is bigger and physical and, and better. Um, and brings me to my next point. Britton Cox, no longer a Gator. Yeah, um, you know, we saw him uh, dismissed from the team on Monday, as, as you know, as we reported and other uh, sites reported. Um, yeah, uh, you know, it's, you know, they asked Billy Napier about it. He he basically said, you know, it's 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 time to move on from him. Uh, this is in the best interest of the team. Uh, I think, you know, definitely an interesting move. There's only four games left in the season. Um, and Brenton Cox ended up declaring for the NFL draft. And I don't think he was going to ever come back for, you know, his final year of eligibility. Uh, I think he was going to go to the NFL no matter what. Uh, I thought he was going to go last year. I was kind of surprised to see him back. Um, but, yeah, ultimately, you know, Napier said this was in the best interest of the team. And, and you know, and they've moved on. They've moved on from Brenton Cox. 
And uh, and the thing is, is Billy made it very clear that this wasn't just an insulated, uh, an isolated incident. This mm-hmm. was something that had been brewing. Um, you know, I, we we talked about this a little bit on Gator Country, but we know for the majority of the season. Brenton hasn't bought in. He's been combative with the coaching staff um, as far as, you know, what he's supposed to do. Uh, and, uh, you know, as everyone can kind of see with his social media, he he does kind of have that me first kind of attitude. And, and that's something Billy Napier is not going to handle. And then uh, there was a couple incidents on Saturday that, uh, you know, ultimately decided that it was best for everybody to move on. And, you know, again, I never want to see a guy kicked off a football team. So, like, I don't want people to take that that away. Um, but I do like to see a football coach, especially a new football coach, stand by himself. And and if and if you have team rules and they're breaking team rules, I, it, it, even if it's a good football player, move on from him. Um, you know, you you ha- you have to in this in this in this nil world we live in where, you know, a, a lot of guys are, you know, are, are making a lot of money and the egos are even higher than before, you've got to set the tone. And Dan Mullen's locker room was atrocious. His discipline in the locker room was atrocious. Um, guys did what they wanted to do. Um, and, you know, it's just a situation that I think it will ultimately be for the better of the program in the future. Uh, Brenton Cox for is just, you know, the beneficiary of the punishment. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I like to see the coach, you know, put his foot down, right, and, and make a make a decision. Um, and, you know, obviously, Brenton Cox uh, is a talented, talented edge rusher. Um, he hasn't, you know, filled the stat sheet maybe quite like we've uh, wanted him to this year. Um, but, you know, it, it, you know, it's a piece that's going to be missed on the Gators defense. But, guys, there's only four games left. Um, you know, well, you get what you want now. Everybody right. – including myself, we wanted to see the young guys. Yeah, and, and, and we're going to see them. You know, we're going to see Lloyd Summerall. We're going to see Justice Boone. Um, we're going to see Antoine Powell, Ryland. Uh, Pyburn. Yeah, we're, you know, and we, we might see some Pyburn in there as well. You know, we're going to see – we're probably going to see a combination of guys. I don't think it's going to be one guy that just kind of sits in there and plays. Like all season, I mean, we've seen the, the rotations in and out, you know, on the edge. And I think that's going to continue, I think, especially now um, – that there's, there's, there's an open competition for a spot there on the starting edge. And um, I think you'll see, uh, I think you'll see Antoine Powell get it. Uh, I, and that's my prediction. I think he's probably the one to, to start, uh, but I do think you'll see Andrew, I think you'll see some packages and I know justice Boone is considered, you know, a defensive end and not an outside linebacker, but I think you'll see situations where Boone and Princely are on the field at the same time. Yeah, I, I I could see that, and you know I don't I don't uh, I don't think that that's just out of the question by by any means, and uh, you know there's a lot that has to be done. Uh, we're gonna bring on my uh, my good friend from Texas, Ryan Bronzer, here in just a second uh, to talk about this A and M game, and uh, you know A and M's kind of dealing with the same problems Florida is. Uh, obviously, they're not in their first year of the Jimbo Fisher era, so uh, things are a little worse for them because at least Florida has the okay, this is the first year for for Billy Napier and he's cleaning up things, uh, you know, excuse. Um, And it's not an excuse. I mean, I I shouldn't say it that way. It's not an excuse. It's the truth. I mean, he has a lot to clean up and um, a lot of uh, problems to address, especially, uh, you know, with the talents of the team. But but off the field as well, you know, I wanted to hit that real quick before we go to Ryan, though. And, you know, we talk about, you know, we always are looking for – 
positive takeaways from things. Um, and, uh, you know, I, again, I think the biggest positive takeaway is this is a team that's fighting. You know, this is a team that is, is battling until the end. You know, this is a team that hasn't given up. I mean, obviously they were down 28 to three, um, against Georgia. They were a 23 point underdog in the game. It was very easy to give up, very easy to give up in this football game. They did last year. Um, and so I think that that shows kind of what, um, Billy and his staff have done, uh, with the culture, uh, overall. Um, and you know, it's just, it's a process. It really is. I, I, I've said this multiple times, and, and Nick, you've said this multiple times. I don't think the average fan understood how bad this program really, really was uh, under Dan Mullen, and I don't think people really understood how big of a rebuild um, that was needed. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, this, this program was not in the best shape, and that's putting it out there very nicely. A um, lot of holes uh, on the roster. And obviously there was a coaching issue uh, last year and, and this and that. But I think ultimately when you look at this, the Georgia game that we just watched, what you see is – let's just look at the defense for a second. They forced three turnovers, and Florida did not, did not turn the ball over. So they won the turnover battle 3-0. And then on top of that, they got – I think they – was it three or three or four punts they forced? It wasn't, it wasn't a large number, but they forced more punts against a better offense than they have been forcing all season. Uh, Florida was averaging like I think two, like a little over two forced punts a game. It was it was a very small number. They forced more punts in this game than they have, and this is a better offense than than most of the offense we we faced outside of Tennessee. Uh, so they forced more punts. They won the turnover battle. If you're the defense, they did they did honestly what they you know I know they gave up 42 points, and you know we talked about how you know the fluke touchdown and all that, but the defense did. It, I I guarantee you the defense is like okay, that's a step in the right direction. Right. Uh, but I don't think that the team, you know, imagined being down 28-3 at halftime. That was not part of the plan. You know, Florida outscored Georgia. In the, they outscored and outgained Georgia in the second half. Yeah. So, you know, 17-14 to 14 in the second half. And they had a, you know, I think I haven't seen the, I haven't, I would have to go back and look at the official uh, stat sheet. But I know they had more yards. Um, so I think that ultimately shows, you know, this team didn't lay down. And if, if Florida did not have the, the, the painfully slow start at the beginning of the game, this game's probably a little bit different. Yeah, um, Florida outgained Georgia 283 to 209 in the second half. Okay. So eight, Georgia yards. only had 54 yards passing in the second half. Yeah. And, and, but, you know, you have to credit Georgia as well because that's what they do. They play well with the lead. They don't, you know, it, it's incredibly hard to come from behind against Georgia. You have to get out to a fast start against Georgia. Because Georgia doesn't play well from behind, they play well with the lead. Um, so that's that's you know that's where that's where that's ultimately where I point you know this game to is 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 just a painfully slow start, but it does mean something to come back, uh, outscore and outgame Georgia in the second half. Exactly. All right, Nick. Well, let's go to my man Ryan. Let's talk uh, Aggies Gators as uh, we turn the page to November as the Gators look to get bowl eligible. So let's talk to Ryan. You and I will come back and. Uh, We'll, uh, we'll dig a little deeper and uh, talk a, recap a little bit of what Ryan has to say. So let's go to Broninger real quick. All right, guys, we're back with my good friend, Mr. Ryan Broninger of TechSags. Ryan, appreciate you coming on, man. Uh, I, I like this uh, A&M Florida matchup, man. I, I always do. Uh, too bad it can't be a yearly thing, my friend. No, I, I've made the trip to Gainesville. I think it was 2017. Love that trip. 
the A&M Florida games over, uh, since A&M's gotten into the conference have all been super competitive and super fun. I'm sure both fan bases would like the records to look a little different heading into this matchup. Um, but it is what it is. You guys are the first-year head coach. Obviously, um, Billy Napier comes with – I think his processes are going to work in Gainesville. Uh, but it may take y'all some time to, to flip that roster and, and kind of get his guys in there and bought into how he wants to do things. And then, you know, over here in College Station, just a giant youth movement. I mean, A&M, much was made about their number one class last fall – or, excuse me, uh, signing class uh, last winter in fe- December and February. And, uh, you know, A&M has played, I think, there's there's 18 of them that they're relying on pretty heavily. And I think close to 24 of them total have played. So uh, kind of incredible when you consider that in year five of Jimbo that they've played 24 true freshmen. But kind of where things are and, uh, you know, we'll see what happens on Saturday. I was going to say, if you took away the – the each team's junior farms and you took away the names of the players this is a pretty identical teams i mean both teams are struggling with some identity offensively and defensively uh both teams are playing a lot of youth uh both teams are you know playing with some depth issues at a lot of areas and, and both teams are playing without some guys there um Talk a little bit about Wigman. I, you know, you and I talked a lot about him um, during the recruiting class and, and everything, and both you and I are both very high on him. Um, I know he set a few records in the game last week. Um, I guess, is it his his season the rest of the year? And I, What's different with A&M's offense with Connor behind uh, uh, the center? Well, full disclosure, I've known Connor Wigman since he was about 12 years old. He was playing for our baseball academy. Uh, out of the greater Houston area here in Texas. Uh, saw him on the baseball field when uh, I think he hadn't turned 13 just yet. He was 12 years old. Um, it's just kind of funny that going back and looking at that game, whenever I first saw him and met him uh, on that field, ended up being about 10 Division One baseball players, and he immediately jumped out, and I was asking their coach, like, uh, who's that guy at shortstop? So Connor's always had kind of that presence, that air about him, Uh what makes him elite and what I do think it's his show going forward. And Jimbo even said that uh, in the press conference. And I think you have to do that, Andrew, because of, uh, for a lot of things. I mean, obviously your offense showed more life on Saturday night against Ole Miss and they had all season long and it wasn't even close. Um, The the production, the points, the the tempo, the excitement with which they played, uh, the rhythm, all of it, it was just so much better uh, with Connor back there pulling the trigger. And, uh, what makes him special, man, is like for a young kid and, and even as a high school recruit, you were always amazed with his like feel of the game and his his ability to get the ball out on time and accurate to his playmakers. Uh, he's just got a great sense of spacing and you know when the ball should come out, with what kind of trajectory, who it should go to. Uh, he's going to have some mistakes as, as most freshmen do stepping into this this kind of position and really starting in the SEC at quarterback as a true freshman. Uh, there hasn't been many guys that do it at an extremely high level. So, you know, I'm not saying that Connor's going to go out here and be Pat Mahomes or Bryce Young or even Johnny Manziel, but he's certainly got the skill set to be one of the better quarterbacks in this league as, as he gets older. Um, but right now he's injected a shot of life into this team, into this offense, and playing him, by playing him, you're going to get some life uh, to the recruiting aspect of it too because – you can certainly sell an offense uh, where he's the leader 
going forward to a lot of high school recruits and even, you know, you know how prevalent the transfer portal is. If you get a high, high profile transfer that's looking at A&M um, with, with Connor kind of pulling the strings at quarterback, uh, it gives more hope and more vision to the offense. First of all, can you give us another Johnny Manziel from down there? I mean, just just the life of the party, man. I mean, it was something <laughs> fun to talk about. Well, that. <laughs> I'm not saying that. Uh, I'm not saying that Connor is Johnny. You know, but you know, on the field, especially I think once Connor gets more comfortable, we didn't see him use his legs at all, or very little against Ole Miss, and I think he probably had some chances to run. Um, now there's, you know, he may have been told not to run because he's the third quarterback that A&M's played this year, and they've got no backup. I mean, they've got a kid that hasn't played one down uh, since he's been here, and then they've got a, a walk-on uh, in the backup role. So they can't really be getting him hurt. And as with as bad as the offensive line has played this year, I'm sure Jimbo told him not to take any chances with his feet. Uh, but he is a super athlete, and he's a. It's kind of like Johnny in the way that he runs and that he's real decisive. And he's quick and sudden, maybe not the, the long speed um, of some of these like elite quarterback runners. You know, you saw Cam Newton's style of running and, uh, you know, even in the NFL now with Lamar Jackson, like he's not a take the top off, run past everybody, but he's a decisive runner uh, with some really good quicks and suddenness. We haven't seen him do that yet. Perhaps as he gets more comfortable in the offense, uh, Connor will start doing that, but a lot he's got a lot of the same traits as Johnny man I've just watched this kid so many times in high school where the pocket breaks down and he's running around holding the ball out like crazy running in a circle and then throws a dime down the field and and makes a big play so he's got that in his locker Um, I think we'll see more of it as he gets more comfortable well, you know, you should go ahead and, uh, you know, just uh, become an international uh, draft scout over here for baseball. And, you know, he was 13. They're eligible to sign in Cuba. <laughs> well, I don't know if I want to go live in Latin America right now. I'm pretty comfortable where I'm at here in College Station. Um, but who knows what the future holds, right? You know, Billy Lucci may get tired of being Texas and run me out of there. And so I'll have to be looking for work. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Nick, I know you had to ask him about Evan Stewart. And before you do, I have to say this. First of all, any man that can come to a high school football camp like Evan Stewart did last year in a trucker's Bass Pro hat and just dominate is a baller, in my opinion. So, Nick, you could ask him the question now. Yeah. But I had to throw the Bass Pro shop in there. Yeah, I agree, Andrew. I was going to mention that as well. Um, you know, iconic look, and you know, and I and I think that played a part in his you know performance at at Friday Night Lights. To be honest with you, um, you know, but I just wanted to ask about Evan Stewart. I mean, I know me and Andrew both you know think very highly of of you know the true freshman receiver who is leading the Aggies uh, in, in in yards this season. Um, just what w- what has he done this season that you know that stood out to you? You know, it's very difficult uh, as a true freshman in the SEC, especially as a wide receiver to step in and, and produce the way he's done, especially with, you know, the, the, the quarterback kind of struggles uh, that Texas A&M is going through right now. Um, it, you know, what, what's Evans done to, to, to stand out to you and, and what does he bring to the table this weekend? Well, he's a supremely gifted athlete in a smaller body. Like it kind of reminds you, Oh, I'm trying to think of a guy maybe you guys are more familiar with on a national scale, maybe a Garrett Wilson type that came out of Lake Travis here in Texas. Mm-hmm. Then uh, at Ohio State now with the New York Jets, just an insanely athletic kid and um, plays the game in fast forward, kind of like a Jalen Waddle type with, with in, in, in space. Anum hasn't done 
you know, he hadn't got the ball a ton in space with like room to run, but he's just contested catches, jumping over guys that are way bigger than him, body control off the charts. Um, and, and what you've seen from him this year is like the maturity, right? Like he's had the, the, the obviously the team has struggled uh, and you've seen Evan kind of mature as a leader in the locker room, how he interacts with his teammates. Uh, and I think he and Connor Wigman are, are giving the and fan base a lot to be excited about for the future. And uh, you saw those two connect multiple times on Saturday night against Ole Miss, including for a touchdown catch where Connor makes just an incredible throw to the back corner of the end zone. And Evan goes up and plucks it out of the air one-handed. Um, even in, you know, Connor hasn't played much, but you can tell that there's a level of connection, uh, certainly a high level of trust uh, between he and Evan uh, because he looks for Evan in a lot of 50-50 ball scenarios. And uh, Evan's just such a gifted athlete and is such a gifted receiver with the ball in the air that it's really not even a 50-50 ball. It's more like a 70-30. So uh, if you're a Gator fan and you're getting ready to watch the game, I'd, I'd bet on 15 taking some shots down the field to number one against whoever's uh, – I don't know kind of how Florida's doing their, their defensive back rotations, but it really didn't matter who Ole Miss had on Evan. Uh, if they got into a one-on-one spot, Connor was going to take the spot. Don't worry, Ryan. The, uh, yeah. There's not a cornerback in Florida that can cover it. Has it been confirmed he's not wearing the Bass Pro Shop hat under the helmet? You know, what's funny is you guys thought that was weird, but in Texas last cycle, and even now, like, when you go to these 7-on-7 events or these camps, there's a lot of kids in Texas wearing Bass Pro hats, trucker Bass Pro hats. Man, that was that was a first for me. I, I've seen – Stephon Diggs come out in shoes that lit up when he ran. I, I've seen some things, Ryan, but, uh, you know, as you always tell me, things are different in Texas. Uh, I have to ask this question, and, uh, you know, um, you guys are going through a little bit of a struggle, um, like everybody, of trying to gel a, a whole recruiting class full of egos and, you know, NIL, and I don't want to get into NIL and all the Jimbo, Nick Saban stuff, but everybody knows NIL. Uh, how Florida's going to go through that this year, uh, where they're going to have a massive recruiting class um, as well. Uh, you guys suspended four guys. I guess what have you seen, Ryan, is the biggest difference uh, of trying to jail a recruiting class that's so big with this NIL thing? Is it just a bunch of egos you got to try to, you know, get? What I mean, give me some, give me some thoughts on what you've seen from y'all's recruiting class. Yeah, I think the number one thing that you have to do if, if you're a coaching staff in that perspective and just a football staff in general, administrative staff, the whole thing, is you got to be able to manage all of it, right? Like you have to be able to have open dialogue with players that are happy, that are unhappy. If you're unhappy, hey, what are you unhappy about? Um, and, you know, I think and most of this stuff I don't think comes down to NIL. I think it's just managing personalities and managing – 18, 19 year old kids that have never been in the spotlight of an SEC program. Uh, and then when you struggle the way you have, and you, you, know, you guys know like how brutal social media can be uh, after losses and how ridiculous and the troll accounts and then even the real fans and like uh, people get behind a keyboard and, and are anonymous and it gives them like they're Superman. They can say whatever to whoever when, in real life, they would never think about saying some of this stuff to the, the, the faces of these kids or coaches. And so I think when if, if everything, if you're winning, everything's sunshine and rainbows, right? But when you're three and five uh, and you've had some just 
gut-wrenching losses. You know, A&M's, they've lost five games. Four of them have been by less than six, by six points or less. So you're really one play away in a lot of these games from, from having a really solid record and feeling really good about what you're doing. Uh, but you are what your record says you are. And so I think these kids coming into the, this kind of spotlight, um, they've, they've never dealt with, with failure before. And so it's just having the staff um, and having the wherewithal and the capabilities to make sure everybody's on the same page and everybody's kind of pulling the rope in the same direction. And I'll say this about AM and the suspensions. And uh, it seems like, and I could be wrong, I'm not inside the, that building every day, but it seems like all that stuff has galvanized the leadership of the football team and really the leadership in that freshman, that, that 2022 recruiting class. Like some guys have really stepped up from what we've heard and said, you know, enough's enough. We're pulling this thing in the right direction. Uh, we really don't care what the wins and losses are. We're building this thing from the ground up. So, uh, you know, that's the, the glass half full and the sunshine part of it. And if you uh, want to be negative, you're going, well, why does this have to happen? Why is this happening in year five of a coaching regime? But uh, you got to grab on. I mean, it's really easy to be negative when you're three and five, right? And you can you can poke and prod at a million different things, and uh, a lot of them are justified. But uh, it, it makes life no fun going through it that way and, and covering a team that way. So you try to grab on to the positive, and, and what we saw on Saturday night offensively certainly was a positive and then kind of the response and reaction that we got from not only the recruits that were on campus but also uh, the current vibe of the locker room kind of with Wigman reigniting the offense and giving a little life to the program uh, it's been kind of surprisingly a really positive vibe and upbeat mood that's kind of where we were just talking before you came on uh, with Britton Cox being suspended or let go of the team. And, you know, it's a situation now where this team can kind of really build. Um, before, Ryan, before I get you out of here, um, obviously quarterback play, Connor Anthony is going to be the key for both teams uh, offensively. But w- what are your keys uh, overall for this game? Uh, you know, I, I guess give me a key. If Florida wins this game, it'll be because. And if A&M wins this game, it'll be because. Well, if Florida wins, it'll be because they were able to get pressure on the quarterback, A&M's offensive line. Uh, they played their best game of the year last week, I thought, but it was still – I mean, they, they give up a lot of free runners, man, and it seems like there's still confusion on, on who to block when. Um, because, and, they, you know, sliding protections, you'll have half the line slide one way and the other half slide the other, and you get a free runner on the quarterback. Um, that's happening too often for A&M, and, and – their struggles offensively, yes, the quarterback play has been really up and down uh, heading into last week, but the offensive struggles kind of fall on the shoulders of, of an offensive line that just seems that they've never they've never quite jailed and they've never quite gotten up where they're really comfortable in their assignment. So Florida getting a uh, being able to dominate the line of scrimmage uh, on defense, and then if Florida's able to run the ball, and I think you know what killed A&M against Ole Miss. Obviously, Ole Miss ran for 390 yards, uh, but that's kind of what, you know, Ole Miss is one of the best rushing attacks in the country. That's kind of what they do to people. But what killed A&M was, like, the third down stuff. Man, Jackson Dart with his legs. A&M had plenty of opportunities to get off the field, and he'll escape the pocket. Um, and, and A&M, as good as – they're super talented on the defensive line. A lot of those freshmen are playing and playing big roles. But there's just – 
the raw abilities there, but you know they, they get a little undisciplined in their pass rush lanes. And so uh, Jackson Dart was able to explo- exploit that on some key third downs and uh, keep Ole Miss rolling on offense. So I think Anthony Richardson's legs are going to be really, really big. This is a defense that is bang, bang, banged up. I mean, the injury bug, not just for the defense, but for the whole team. It's been crazy the amount of injuries that A&M has dealt with this year. Uh, and, and they're really thin at linebacker. They're playing a ton of different defensive linemen. They're playing a ton of freshmen on the back end. So you've had some really wild plays in terms of raw athleticism, but then you have some stuff where, like, man, what happened there? Like, there was a guy running wide open, or there's a huge running lane for a quarterback because the guy doesn't fit properly. So I think for, for A&M to have success, they've got to protect Connor and they got to stop the run. For Florida to have success, I think they've got to get pressure on the quarterback because if you let Wigman sit back there, he I don't care that he's a freshman, uh, he will pick you apart. Uh, and then Florida has got to run the football effectively because if they can't against this A&M defense, then it's going to allow A&M to kind of feed on what I don't think. I think Anthony Richardson is a really talented kid. I think he's incredibly inconsistent in the pass game, both in terms of accuracy and decision-making. So in, in order for Florida to get him in good spots, they got to stay ahead of the chains uh, and use his legs uh, effectively as well. What you just said has uh, been Florida's problem, but injuries haven't been the reason. Florida's depth is, at linebacker is really bad, and their secondary is really bad. And um, instead of injuries being the blame, it's uh, Dan Mullen being the blame. <laughs> well, I guess with A&M, it's, you know, obviously year five of Jimbo, it's a little bit different. But I'm telling you, man, like if – if you get some of those commercial breaks, go and, and, and look at how many freshmen A&M is going to be putting on the field on offense and on defense. It, it's crazy. I, I've never seen an A&M team be this young. They, they legitimately might be the youngest team in college football. On offense, there's only two guys that start that are third-year players. Everybody else is a true freshman or a redshirt freshman. Don't wish no more commercials. We had a seven-and-a-half-hour game, it felt like, in Jacksonville because of CBS. So uh, we'll take a quick commercial game uh, this weekend. Ryan, I appreciate it, buddy. Uh, tell everybody where they can follow you and uh, your work over at TechSag. Yeah, you can get me on Twitter at R underscore Broninger, uh, or follow us at TechSag, T-E-X-A-G-S. Uh, Spivey, I appreciate you having me on, brother. Always looking forward. Always look forward to – us catching up, chopping it up, and, and uh, sharing information. Absolutely. My friend, always appreciate it as well. And uh, good luck to your Astros. Can they please take down the Philadelphia Phillies? <laughs> hey, you know what? I figured you were rooting for You got your World Series off of us last year, very deserving <laughs> with the Braves. Uh, and I didn't think you'd want another NL East team winning. But it's the third time the Astros have gotten the NL East in a World Series. They lost to the Nats. They lost to the Braves. Hopefully, third time's a charm here against the Phillies. I'm sending good juju. Cannot have the Phillies win, man. They don't even deserve to be in the playoffs. But uh, that's neither <laughs> here nor there. Uh, Ryan, we will talk to you, buddy. Uh, good luck on Saturday, and uh, look forward to catching up with you soon, my man. Yeah, thanks for having me, dude. Good. Appreciate it. Guys, we're back. Nick, uh, good stuff with Broninger. And, uh, man, I felt like he was talking about the Gators, even though I knew he was talking about the Aggies. But, I mean, like you said, a lot of similarities. Yeah, yeah, a lot of similarities. Uh yeah, but also, like, a few, you know, key differences as well, right? So, you know, he talked a lot about the youth movement, um, mm-hmm. you know, going on going on at, you know, in Texas. And, uh, you know, they had – he said they're playing 18 
true freshmen, uh, like in pretty significant roles. That's a large number. Um, you know, Florida, Florida has some youth playing as well. It's not quite to that extent, but, and you know, I think the difference is, is, you know, they're in year five of their program, you know, the Gators are in year one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, there's, he talked a lot about kind of the, the, the team chemistry as well, which I think was, was, was fairly similar, um, to, to what we kind of got going on at Florida. Obviously, Brenton Cox was dismissed from the team. The Aggies have, you know, four players suspended. I'm not saying that, you know, our programs are in the same place there by any means, but, you know, just some similarities going on. And yeah, like, uh, you know, he talked a lot about the, the, he just talked about inconsistency, right? Inconsistency at the defensive line position. A lot of young players there, right? You know, Florida's having to rely on, you know, Desmond Watson, who, you know, just is not that experienced of a football player. Uh, you know, he, he, you know, his kind of weight and, and, and health have, have held him back, um, you know, in the first year, you know, of him being on campus, you know, he's finally, you know, he's logging, you know, 40 snaps a game. He's starting to get, you know, where he needs to be, but, you know, Jalen Lee's kind of in the same, same boat, right. Hasn't had a lot of playing time. You know, these guys are, these guys aren't young age wise, but they're young game experience wise. And right. I think that, and I think that's, kind of the similarity that I drew uh, from what from what Ryan had to, had to say. Yeah, and I mean, again, you know, you, you look at a team, like you said, you know, a team that's young, so they're making, you know, silly mistakes, um, just, you know, kind of like Florida is. Um, I think the biggest thing that I take away from that, and, you know, I watched, uh, I don't know, very little of the uh, uh, Texas A&M this game, as we were getting back from Pennville. Um, and so I, I caught a little bit of a replay. Um, you know, Jackson Dart did have some success on third down running. Um, but, you know, it just – it seems for whatever reason, Anthony hasn't been a willing runner um, that I can really go into this game and say, hey, that's going to be a difference because he hasn't shown that, that he's willing to, to do that. And, um, you know, I think that if he can and will – um, then, hey, look, it may be a, a huge game for him. Um, and, and, you know, you look at this offensive line for uh, A&M that's not um, been very good. Um, you know, this is a, a time for Gervin Dexter, a time for um, Chris McClellan, those guys to really step up in this game and, and go get a quarterback um, who's a young guy and, and not allow him to get comfortable back there. I think that is going to be the, the biggest key of this game is don't allow him to get comfortable. You allow a young quarterback to sit back there, get comfortable, um, really kind of get his, you know, uh, P's and Q's in order, that, then it allows the confidence, and he just slowly but surely will start to think, man, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this, and and that, that that's, a, that's a problem. And, you know, the, the best thing for a, a weak secondary is getting pressure, and Fordham it hasn't shown, you know, lately that they've been able to get pressure with just their defensive line. They've been having to bring extra guys. Um, but, hey, bring extra guys. The one thing that does scare me, and I'll say it all week, is Evan Stewart. I just – I don't know who covers Evan Stewart this week. Yeah, you know, I – we could talk about Evan Stewart for hours. Uh, the, the, he's just a phenomenal football player. And, Andrew, I know it's super, super, super early in his young career. But he's got a, he's got first round talent written all over him. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, um, I I I I honestly would 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 put a bet down right now that he goes in the first round. He is that good. Uh, and you know, he said you know someone's got to be able to guard him, right? Someone has to be able to 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 stay in front of him and and, and kind of keep him in front of the defense, not let him slip behind. He said that you know Wegman's gonna take shots uh, to Evan Stewart. So you you 
Evan Stewart's going to be a player to watch this Saturday. Well, why wouldn't you? You know, I mean, yeah. you've seen Florida give up the big yeah. plays. Um, you know, kind of like he said with uh, A&M's defense, um, you know, Florida, Florida's liable to not cover Evan Stewart on a play and let him run wide open. Um, you know, that's uh, that's been a problem, and uh, you hope that it is getting fixed. Uh, didn't really have that issue on um, Saturday against Georgia, um, but you, you still – worry about that and you know uh trading i thought had a had a good game um in um in jacksonville he needs to continue that uh you know you you need uh Jaden hill to have a big game uh i i don't have much confidence in um jason marshall covering evan stewart i, I just have lost a lot of confidence in him um so you're gonna have to double team him i mean that's just what you're gonna have to do you're gonna have to have safety help over the top and uh, not allow him to go because if you allow him to have a big day, it'll be a long, long afternoon in uh, College Station. Yeah, I mean he, you know, uh, I mean Ryan gave us gave us the key to success for the defense, right? It was it was one keep Evan Stewart in front of you, and two get pressure on the quarterback. He he noted Texas A&M's offensive line has has been inconsistent this year, uh, and Florida has actually done you know a decent job of exposing bad offensive lines. Um, mm-hmm. we, we, we saw it against Kentucky. Kentucky's offensive line is putrid. It's terrible. It, it, it's one of the worst in the country. Uh, and, and, and Florida did a really good job of getting pressure. Uh, kind of the same story with, with Missouri as well. Missouri's offensive line isn't great. Their offense is, is, is pretty bad. And, and, and Florida did a good job of, of, of getting pressure. And so I think that's where, you know, this defense has to take the next step is, just expose expose who you're supposed to expose. Expose the bad defenses or the bad offenses. Sorry, uh, and, and and that's kind of and I know where you know the Gators are out, Brenton Cox, and and so someone's gonna have to step up, right? Justice Boone's gonna have to step up. Uh, you know, Princely step up. Uh, you know, Lloyd Summerall was injured last week, but but Napier you know had good things to say about him. He's gonna have to step up and, and play a significant role uh, in in a tough in a tough atmosphere in a tough road game against a team that, like we said has a ton of talent is just super young and they make, they make mistakes. And, and I think, I think this Texas A&M team is going to get better uh, over the, over the course of the last four games, simply because they're, they're a young team that, that that's continuing to play football. Uh, and, and, you know, for me, it's, it's, you got to get pressure on the quarterback and, and make the, make the young quarterback make a mistake. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's exactly what it is. You got to make him make a mistake. Well, Nick, we'll be back on Friday. We'll talk a little, uh, we'll get in deeper into the kind of the stats of this game and, um, some of our keys to the game, um, you know, going in, uh, going forward and, uh, you know, talk a little bit more about, um, you know, what Florida can do, uh, offensively against this team and then defensively what they got to do. Um, so we'll be back on Friday. Uh, Again, thanks to Ryan for coming on and uh, chatting with us about A&M. Good to hear from him, as always. And uh, basketball gets underway in the orange and blue game on Tuesday night. So uh, get a little basketball action going your way. Yeah, should be exciting. Yeah, so uh, we'll be back on Friday, and we will talk uh, Florida A&M and uh, give you some uh, scores, uh, recaps, and uh, all the good stuff that comes along with it, pick some players and uh, all that good stuff. So uh, make sure to check us out on Friday. And as always, check us out on GatorCountry.com, on the web, and on Twitter. Thanks, guys.